0: Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.
2: Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily.
3: Brighton beaten again. Southampton up to fifth and a tale of two penalties in the Premier League last night as VAR once again grabs the headlines. Plus, on the eve of a huge Champions League game for Manchester United, and with the Manchester derby a matter of days away, agent Mino Raiola has been stirring the full pogba shape pot yet again. The Frenchman's agent claims Pogba's Manchester United career is over, But what happens next at Old Trafford? Do they sell him? Do they freeze him out? We'll discuss on the show. Also, it's been business as usual for Harry Kane this season in front of goal. But arguably, some of that business may have been a little bit underhanded. The Spurs skippers drawing criticism for the way he wins tactical fouls for his side. Is it smart or is it dangerous? Perhaps it's both. And in floodlight focus today, Aston Villa are the centre of attention, where Max from Villa on Tour will be joining us to give us the lowdown on the vibes from Villa Park. I'm Niall and this is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new episode seven days a week, every single day of the football season. And my festive friends today on the podcast include Marley Anderson. All right, Marley.
1: Hello, guys. How we doing?
3: Yeah, very, very good. And we've also got Stefan Armstrong here, aka Straight Talking Stefan. How are you, buddy? Ho, 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 ho. Yeah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> it's getting cold out there, Steph. Have you broke out the um the Arson Wenger coat yet?
4: Uh, do you know what? I actually have. I, w- I was out on... Uh on Saturday tier 2 so you know living the dream in um, oh yeah and uh, york's turned into a bit of an après so it's pretty good i had four jackets on that's how cold it is four four jackets
3: one of, you need to get one of those venga sleeping bag coats you've seen my jackets uh, niall you know They can't get any dodgier, so let's just put it that way. You do love a rogue jacket, I must be honest. rascal jacket is something that you're into. Right, let's talk about the Premier League action that took place last night. First off on today's Football Social Daily, at the Amex Stadium, it was Brighton versus Southampton and the score finished 2-1 to the Saints. As I said at the start there, it was a tale of two penalties, Marley. The first one was a handball by James Ward-Prowse and Pascal Gross does what Pascal Gross does and dispatches the penalty for Brighton. Um, But the second one, after Vestergaard equalised for Southampton with a header, was controversial to say the least. Uh, Brighton's Solly March was penalised for a foul, which looked like it could have been on the outside of the box. VAR went to check the decision and it was a couple of minutes before the referee went over to the screen and eventually decided that it was inside the penalty area and gave the decision for a Southampton penalty, which they duly scored. They ended up winning the game two goals to one. So my question is, did you think that that second penalty, which is the big talking point of the game, was a penalty?
1: Oh, it it was definitely a foul. Um it's just where the contact started and, you know, did it carry on into the box and that kind of thing. Um it wasn't, I mean, even after, you know, five or six replays, it wasn't clear because it was always um like debatable where where the contact started and where it continued and obviously like it's one of them where the contact starts outside and that's usually where the foul is given but I think the referee judged it to be um, to sort of be two fouls in one movement sort of like the contact started but he didn't start fouling him until the the feet clashed and when the feet clashed um, I think it was uh, Walker-Peters and Vestergaard was it Um, that was inside the box so if that's what he's given if he's given the foul for the feet clashing together then it's a penalty, um, but yeah, I mean, I can definitely see why Brighton fans would be annoyed with the decision because usually, in them in them instances, you are looking at where the contact started, even if the whole movement is not a foul. You, you look where the actual contact started, and and that was, you know, about ei outside the box. So I can see why they'd be they'd be fuming with the decision, but I think uh, the referees judged it as to be uh, as to be sort of two two acts in one in one movement type of thing.
3: Does it go back to the old clear and obvious, Stefan? I mean, what's clear and obvious about that? There's nothing clear that makes that inside the box or on the line, even for me. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think Brighton fans can rightly feel hard done by there because, you know, take away whether it's a foul or not. I think the reason the referee went over to the screen was to determine whether it was inside or outside of the box. And you know, those are fifty-fifty calls. I mean, you can forensically break it down and take twenty replays as much as you want. It's not going to change anything, in my opinion. Yeah,
4: the referee went over to the screen because he's scared of losing his job. That's why he went over to the screen. (laughs) But um, yeah, it depends what rules of football you're playing by. If you're playing by 2020 rules of football, then um, it probably is a penalty. If you're playing by any other rule of football that's been up until this point in the game, then it's so soft. I can't can't imagine that being a penalty at all. And to be fair... um, (sighs) I kind of felt like the referee was gonna give it because I felt like he had to give the um, Southampton penalty and um, uh, the, the the other penalty, the other side,
3: so the Brighton penalty with the handball. Um, mm. But that, that... I think that was clearly a handball. I mean, he was basically his arm was well above his head and it's hit his hand. I think that was a pen, but the but, other one I'm not but, so sure.
4: But but his his hand was kind of hanging there. Like I I don't know if he intended to do that. Yeah, I suppose sure. it's
3: is the application of the new rule, isn't it, where Exa- exactly, you know exactly. t-shirt line and stuff.
4: So 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 these rules, I mean it's just a bit it's just a bit confusing, so uh, yeah, I can see why it was given, um but if I was a referee I wouldn't have given it.
3: Well, the penalty count goes on, Marley. That was the 50th penalty awarded this season in the 107th Premier League game. So at the current rate, if we keep seeing referees award penalties at the rate that they're awarding penalties, we would have, by the end of this Premier League season, 177 spot kicks given, which would be 71 more penalties than the previous record in a season of 106. Uh, That was set in 2009-10 and 16-17. 71 more penalties. 50th penalty in 107th game. We're looking at a penalty almost every other game here. It's getting out of hand, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but them's the rules, ain't it? Isn't it? I think it's one of them where you um, you report yourself if you're going to put a rule in like that. that's hard to avoid. Um, you you kind of have to live with it. I think goalkeepers are, are probably spending two days a week studying everybody's penalties because um, they know they're, they're quite likely to face one. Um, you know, Ings got one last night. Who uh, who else scored? Was it Gross? Wasn't it for for Brighton? And it's it's one of them things where these are the rules you've put in and that's you've got to decide at some point whether you're happy with this many penalties um it's probably good from a neutral point of view but if you're conceding you know so many penalties i think there might be a bit of pushback from the clubs um towards the league to say you know come on this is this mm. is stupid to have what was it nearly 200 penalties we were on course for or something like that
3: 177 Ugh,
1: 177 penalties man
3: that's, I mean that's the fact a... that it's 71 penalties more yeah. than the previous record is yeah. Remarkable. I feel sorry good,
4: for good. all these old strikers who have got these um, <laughs> goal, goal, goal scoring records and that. They're, they're going to go out window. Don't say Shira that. Shira must be yeah. kicking himself.
3: <laughs> Marley's going to say Shira would have scored 500 if, <laughs> if VAR <laughs> was in the game. He probably um, would. He probably would have done probably got it a right. few more sent off as well. <laughs> <But> Absolutely. <laughs> and moving on to that point, Marley, I'm glad you've brought that up because do you think now that With these statistics being thrown around, and I'm sure some of the players in the Premier League will be aware of these stats, that pretty much they're more likely to get a penalty this season than any other season that we've ever seen in the top flight. That is statistical. Certainly if you're doing about probability and stuff like that, the chances are they're more likely to win a pen than ever before. So does that mean that we are going to see more soft decisions, like Stefan says? More players going down with the very slightest bit of contact? I know we've seen it in the Premier League for a number of years now, but... For instance, if a player gets caught diving in the box and gets a yellow card, um, even if there's the most minute bit of contact, the chances are it's going to be awarded as a penalty. So is that worth the, the risk, I suppose, of getting booked for the chance of your side being able to score a goal from the penalty spot?
1: Yeah, probably. Um, and even if you're just exaggerating contact, you might not even get a yellow card for it. If there was contact in the first place and you fall easily, it's technically not really a dive. Because there was contact, um, it's not as if you you know you're diving over a leg um, or anticipating contact. It's if if there is contact, these rules um, do allow for you to be a bit soft in in the box. I think you know uh, Salah's won a few this season, um, similar to uh, to to that rule. I think the the Ward Prowse handball. I think that w- it was probably a penalty, but again that comes from the soft handball rule. Uh, last night uh, when he gave that away with with growth scoring it but it's everything you know it's, it's like everything has a has a consequence every rule you put in people will find a way to to exploit it and to take advantage of it because there are very few um, rules you can introduce especially in the formative years of it you know the first two or three years where there are no loopholes you know, there are loopholes in VAR. I mean, we've seen it at West Ham at the weekend. VAR couldn't work out whether the uh, the ball went out for for Henderson's kick up the pitch for Man United and they scored from it. And, and you know Every replay said it clearly went out, but VAR couldn't sort that. So there's a little loophole uh, there. There's loopholes in the offside rule. And the penalty rule is the same because it, it does allow for strikers to go down easily or attackers to go down easily and they will be looking at that and it's it's not necessarily wrong it's just a bit of gamesmanship that um that you can bring into the game and you know if you've got the opportunity to do so and the the financial margins are so um you know the financial risk is so rewarding and that if you get it right you you know you could earn your club what is it 1.3 million pound a place or something like that so you know you basically you're taking a chance if you're diving in and uh, or making most of some contact in the box, and you finish, you know, tenth instead of eleventh. That's one point three million pounds for your club, or a yellow card if you get it wrong. Like it's it's a risk worth taking.
3: Yeah, well, Marley says gamesmanship. Stefan Sean Dyche last season, the Burnie manager, said that he knows of no other sport apart from football which doesn't punish players for diving. It's basically saying that if you get a yellow card for diving, you're allowed to cheat once a game and get away with it. Um, do you think diving's cheating, or do you think it's gamesmanship?
4: Oh, it's like a Christmas episode of Grumpy Old Men, isn't it? Like, <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> like my, my heart says, it's it's cheating. Um, and if you speak to any football fan over the age of thirty-five. They'll they'll tell you that in the good old days, the glory days of football, you never saw players doing that. In fact, the best players always stayed up and then you we can reel off uh name after name of hard man players that people have looked up to. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean, like any Leeds yeah, United, yeah. any Leeds United fan's gonna talk about Billy Bremner and all that sort of stuff. Um and I like that. That, that's a that's a nicer type of football for me uh, i don't think it's I, f- I do think it's cheating in a way uh, diving and going down easily but as as mali's just said there if the game's set up to it you' if if you've got a chance to go down and you don't your managers not going to be happy are they so it's mm. it's it's a catch 22 um I, it can be solved by changing many rules of football uh, at the top level um and and that will solve it but it just won't happen
3: It's an interesting debate, which we'll carry on later on in the podcast when we talk about Harry Kane, who's been drawing some attention for the way he plays the game uh, over the last few weeks. So we'll talk about that a bit later. But focusing back on the game, did finish 2-1 to Southampton. Um, Can Brighton feel hard done by, not only because of that penalty decision, Marley, but they did look sharper to me. um, And it feels like they know now that they do need to take their chances because the Premier League is ruthless. It's cutthroat in that sense. If you don't take your chances, you're going to get punished.
1: Yeah, it was a, it's the same old, same old story, wasn't it, for Brighton? Um, you know, you can say they look sharp and everything like that, but at the end of the day they scored one goal and it was from a penalty. Um, there's no goals from set pieces. Uh, well, te- well p- technically a penalty is a set piece, but you know what I mean? Like corners and free kicks, there was nothing from, from open play in terms of uh, goals, but it's just, they, they do have to sort it out. Um, I don't think they'll go down because th- there are definitely three teams in the country worse than Brighton and there always will be, I, I think. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a problem. Um, it's one they've got to sort. I mean, we talk about it a lot. I think Welbeck's playing all right, but, I mean, even when he stays fit, he's not going to get you 15 a season or, or 10 a season. He might get you 4 or 5, but he's not, he's not got the um, prolific scoring rate that you need um, to... To grind out results, because I think that's what Brighton. Are, I think that's one of Brighton's problems. They're a bit soft. They're a bit um, sort of. They don't have enough fight. I don't think to um, to to dig in and, and scrape out results. It doesn't seem so. I think a, a, a striker, even a you know a big ugly target man, someone like Troy Dini or something like that, could could possibly you know give them <laughs> give them something. Just, <laughs> Go on.
4: I, I hope he's not listening to the podcast, he'll have you.
1: Troy Deeney was <laughs> definitely not listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's... Um, no, I I mean that in a, in a nice way, you know what I mean? Like his attitude to the game, you know, he can drag players through things. Um, I think Brighton are maybe a little bit nice like that. I think Graham Potter's maybe a little bit nice. Um, maybe you do need something. Even, you know, like Burnley's sort of attitude of, of we're gonna <laughs> fight for every single ball. I know what you're saying. Like Marley. even if even if you don't like the the style of play, they they get it done. Like they, they grind out wins from in games they've been awful in. But sometimes they they you know it works for them and I don't think Brighton have got that.
3: Yeah, I tell you what Marley, what you're saying is they need a... That's a <laughs> what they need in the middle of the park, don't <laughs> they? Yeah. They need you a imagine... horrible, horrible in the Imagine José
1: Mourinho's uh, little speech when he if he came in and managed Brighton. I'm going to turn you <laughs> all into bleep. If I need a back <laughs> I've not got a club at the minute. <laughs> Stefan, you do a great
3: job. I absolutely love it. Um although I'm not sure how the red boots with the blue socks would go down uh, at, at the Amex stadium, but there we go. Um what about Southampton? They won. They're up to 5th. Danny Ings is back. I mean, signs are looking good for them.
4: Yeah. Dan, Danny Ings uh is massive for him, is he? he? He went on a great goal-scoring run and he took the penalty last night. The most, the most impressive uh, phase of the game last night was was the uh, set-piece in for Vestergaard's goal. And he took it beautifully. It just looped What over. a header that was. Yeah, he took it really nicely. So, yeah, promising for Southampton. They're, they're maintaining their league position longer than, A, I expected, and B, kind of want them to as well. They're kind of lingering on, which is good. I'd worry that they've maybe not got the striking power that you probably need to stay in the top seven or eight of the Premier League. Uh, Ings, if he kind of dries up, I'm not convinced that Redmond will do a job. I mean, he had a glorious chance last night on the volley and and he absolutely blew it. Uh, and Shea Adams, I think he just has a little more development to go uh, before he can really be relied on to be a consistent goal scorer but they they've got a setup of a team which is which is um it's positive the way they're set up i love the way that ward Prowse and armstrong kind of play together um and uh obviously with wing backs like walker Peters. i'll, I'll uh, walker peak i like i like what they're they're about southampton um my worry is that they just probably won't be able to keep it up um for the duration of the season. I can see I can I can see Southampton Wolves kind of slowly switching positions from 5th to 10th uh, as the season goes on.
3: Brighton 1, Southampton 2, final score in the Premier League last night. Southampton up to 5th, Brighton still in the bottom half and they do need a win sooner rather than later. That is for sure for Graham Potter. Time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily, but afterwards we'll be talking about Harry Kane and Paul Pogba's Manchester United future.
2: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates, and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social.
3: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, the daily Premier League podcast, a new show every single day of the football season. Make sure you hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss one, including over the festive period, where we'll have you covered with all the latest top flight news and gossip. Talking of gossip, well, Mino Raiola, the agent of Paul Pogba. He loves to open his mouth, doesn't he? And he's done it again. He's stirred the pot regarding the future of the Manchester United midfielder. Raiola, Paul Pogba's agent, has said that his career at Old Trafford is over. Now, I'm not surprised when this news comes out because, I mean, every time it gets close to a transfer window, you hear these sorts of comments coming from an agent. But it's not the first time that Raiola has spoken for Pogba, Marley. The timing is absolutely terrible because two massive games for United next up. Uh, Champions League game tonight against RB Leipzig. They need to get a point to qualify for the last 16. And then the Manchester Derby at the weekend. Um, oh, Raiola—he's got a knack of doing this, hasn't he? Yeah,
1: it's um, it's no, it's no surprise, is it, when you see them quotes coming out? I don't think, don't think surprise was the first emotion that that sprung to anyone's mind, especially Man United fans. It was more just anger, and uh, an absolute fume that that it's happened again. Um, it's that I mean, it's terrible timing for for Man United, but it's perfect timing for Raiola. He loves to stick his you know, to drop his bombs when um, when things are, you know on the line. I think you know. Look at tonight; they've got Leipzig. They're already in Germany when these quotes came out. I think uh, they've pretty much just touched down, um, and then they have got the Manchester derby at the weekend. And Solskjaer's now thinking, do I play right? Uh, do I play Pogba in the Leipzig game after his agent says says stuff like this? Is he going to be settled and can kind I of rely on him and that type of thing after he's just had a good game against uh, West Ham and scored an in- incredible goal? Yeah, he goal. played really well against West Ham. Yeah, it was Ham. his best performance mm. in a while. And maybe Ryul has been sitting on this quote for a while and, you know, waiting to hit publish on it or ring his mate in the in the whoever he talked to, um, and uh, and and drop it drop it live then because you know, at the end yeah. of the day he's he's an asset to him and he needs to he needs to try and cash in on him when he when he can. I think. I think Rayola got paid forty one million the last time uh Pogba moved to, to Man United. Forty one million in an agent fee, so he's looking out for his his client when he can, but it's it's disgusting for, for Man United fans to, to read to read that again. Mm.
3: Maybe the well's run dry for Raiola. It's been a couple of years since he's got Pogba on the move, so maybe that's what he needs. Another boost of the coffers in what's been a difficult year for everyone, I'm sure. Um, Marley's right, but what does Manchester United do next, Stefan? What do they do at Old Trafford? Do they freeze him out? I mean, can you even include him in the matchday squad tonight against Leipzig, even if he has travelled to Germany? I mean, can Manchester United be seen to put him in the team after these comments? Because, you know, to use a modern expression... United are being mugged off by Raiola.
4: <laughs> I reckon Raiola is just trying to wind up Gary Neville. I think he was just a bit bored <laughs> and thought, "I know he's he's just a troll. That's all he is. It's <laughs> it's, it's, it's harmless." And I think far too much has been made of this. Um, Pogba Pogba will continue to play for Manchester United. I, I don't know where I don't know where he could go. Um, like the, the only the only kind of obvious thing, uh, the link that everybody brings up is Real Madrid. Mm. But once one Sedan's out the door, that, that will close. Well, I'll, so I'll tell you that's... what.
3: Raiola's been speaking to Tutto Sport in Italy. And this is his quote, Stefan. Maybe Juventus could be Pogba's next club. Why not? The relationship between Paul Juventus and former teammates is excellent. But with the COVID impact, many clubs can't sign him. For sure, it's time to leave Manchester United. So basically, <laughs> he's just... Built the bridge just, again between United selling Pogba back to Juventus.
4: Ah, uh, he, he just wants a payday. I, on, honestly, like I, I think it's pretty boring. This this uh, story. Um, it is. You're right. It, it just it just goes on and on. Uh, and it, I don't even really think it's a story anymore. I think it's just the
3: character of Mino Rao. It's it's fine, mm. whatever. I, but what do United do, Stefan? Do they do they? axe Pogba do they freeze him out do no, they not they- let him play until January and try and sell him I mean what because the club keep getting made a fool of in this situation and it's bad PR for Manchester United a club who have notoriously been very shielded with the way that they're represented in the media and you've got this you know fat guy that wears orange spectacles coming out <laughs> uh, and kind of making a fool of Manchester United football club and firing shots at the manager Oleg Solsha Solskjaer so I mean surely it's- United have to act whether it's not playing Paul Pogba or just selling him at the earliest opportunity or Paul Pogba has to act and sack Raiola for making these comments. Surely Pogba would have known that his agent was going to come out with this.
4: It's a job for the for the PR guys at Man United. It's not a job for Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. I think Oli just needs to um, continue playing Pogba in a way that he sees fit. We, we just talk, talked about him playing at West Ham. He was brilliant against West Ham and few, few players in the world, few midfielders in the world could have finished like that. So it's undeniable the class that he's got. So that's not an issue. The issue the only issue that Oligon of Solskjaer has is a way of finding uh, a, a way of a way of playing Paul Pogba in the team that works for everybody else and doesn't upset the um, the balance of the team. That's that's Oligon Solskjaer's only issue. And once he once he solves that, all the other issues disappear anyway. If Pogba suddenly starts to get a rich vein of form, then A they can either sell him for a lot of money Uh, if, if it comes to that. Or B, it works out for everybody and Pogba's a player that everybody wants him to be at Man United. So the only, as far as I'm concerned, that is the only problem. The agent firing off every now and again I wouldn't be that bothered if I was was a manager of Man United. I I honestly wouldn't.
3: Well, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it, Marley? The, The baggage that comes with Paul Pogba is almost exclusively Mino Raiola. He is the baggage that people talk about. When Paul Pogba arrives at the club, you know that you're going to have someone, a mouthpiece like Mino Raiola, saying things like this every now and again. Now, Manchester United won't like this from a PR perspective, as we've previously discussed. But in terms of what you would do if you were the club, um, Stefan says he wouldn't be too too worried about it. What about you? What would your decision be? And would you encourage Pogba to sack his agent? I mean, there's lots of different avenues here to this.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a straightforward decision. You you sell him. You you if there's a if there's a willing buyer, you uh, you you get rid of him. And I think it's obvious that he isn't going to part ways with Raiola. He's been with him for years. He's made they've made each other a lot of money. Um, from that perspective, there's not much need to sack him. I don't think he'll be that bothered. At the end of the day, if you want to leave a club, you you get your agent to to uh, to do these things, and it's n- not the right way to go about things, especially publicly. But um, it is what it is, and you've got to you know you've got to get out of the club somewhere if you if you want to. So he's chose this avenue, which is gonna you know see him labelled as a, a flop in England for the rest of his career, no matter what he goes on to do. People will say, well, he could never do it in England, so. Um, that'll always be a little mark against him, but um, he's made that decision. I think. I think in the end, I, I can see him going to PSG. He he seems like a PSG type of player to me. Um, I think there's room in their team for him. Uh, he's French. It, it, everything fits for him. It's easy. It's an easy league. He can boss it quite easily with with you know by playing to sixty percent of his ability. Where whereas in England you've got a you could probably be at 85 90% to have an, an inf- influence on games um, most weeks especially so okay so so Jamie Carragher last night on TV
3: said that he's the most overrated player he thinks he's ever seen Stefan's already nailed his colors to the mast and thinks that he can be no absolute quality on his day which i think we all agree with but would you go along with carragher there marley and say that he is the most overrated player that you can think of
1: uh it's hard is to it dis- fair? I guess it's hard to disagree, though. It's hard to disagree because, because of the you know the the reasons you can put into that argument. If you said right, you've got to make an argument for him being the most overrated player ever. You could look at his appearances. You could look at his injury record. You could look at his price. You can look at his general level of performances. You can look at his how many games, how many amazing games has he had for Man United, and you can probably add all them up and say, is that worth a world record ninety million pound fee? No, um, and other players might be overrated, but they never cost ninety million quid. You never, they, you know, the the bank was never broken for them. So, you know, I, I heard Carragher say last night, and he was just, yeah, you know, he, he was right. I think you know, it's hard to it's hard to make a case for anyone else when when he costs that much money.
4: There's a reason why we're talking about him, and, and it's because he. No, no, no matter what opinion we have of him, there's there's always this idea that he can do something special, which nobody else can do, or very few other players can do. And I don't think we'd 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 afford him this much time to talk about him over and over and over and over again, if there wasn't something undeniable in his skill and and, and the fact that he's a. A quality player.
3: I tell well, you what, it is always a coincidence that you're on the podcast every time a Paul Pogba story breaks. It's almost like you know Raiola knows you know? our schedule when <laughs> Stefan's coming on. So I better say something controversial.
4: Well, do you know? Do you know what I'm, I'm going to say? Because I'm I'm having a look at all the clients uh, that Mino Raiola has, and Paul Pogba should have some more balls. Let's put. But well, he's it, been talking about Haaland as well,
3: Raiola, when speaking to the Italian press. He was talking about Haaland, who I think is one of his clients. Um, Verratti's another. So he's been talking he's about them Ibrahim. all. Ibrahimovic as well, I think. Ibra, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got, it's got. It's not of just Pogba but, who he's been he's... talking about the last day or so. Let's just say that.
4: Do do, do do you think that Ibrahimovic would accept Mino Raiola speaking on his behalf? The lion would the lion. He, he wouldn't do that, would he? He wouldn't accept that. I so, think they're two peas in, in a pod. Term... Them
1: two though, they're very what, they're, they're very similar in terms of their outspokenness. I mean, look, you think of how Zlatan speaks. Raiola is the agent form of him he's he's very
3: yeah. Zlatan doesn't care about anything yeah. does he? he he went and bought the Swedish club who are the rivals of the club he first played for and <laughs> yeah. then they, to- they tore his statue down didn't they outside the ground so I don't think Zlatan really cares um, and I don't think Raiola does either I think it's just purely business for him yeah I mean his business is getting boring Mm-hmm <laughs> it (laughs) It really is so let's move on on that uh on that one uh paul pogba might not be able to play for manchester united in the champions league tonight against leipzig just quickly because we probably should talk about that game the united going through tonight
1: marley oh i don't know i mean they should do they only need a draw um but i mean i said as soon as as soon as they lost in istanbul i thought that's that's huge now because now they've got to beat one of psg or leipzig um to get through or, or they need a result and they shouldn't have needed a result today. They should have had a full week to concentrate on Man City at the weekend. Um, and that defeat in, in Turkey is, is massive because now, you know, I think PSG were always going to beat Man United at home when, when they needed to, when they needed that result, you have seeing PSG play to their strengths and, you know, they, they took the chances against Man United and, and beat them, um, in the end, fairly convincingly. um, but yeah, Leipzig Leipzig are a tough, tough team on their own patch. I mean, they'll be they'll be stinging from losing five nil to um to my new Old Trafford. And it'll be a really tough game, but I can see I can see it being a few goals in it. I think it could be a, easily a two two or a three two. Um and it could go either way because, you know, with this rock in the in the camp this uh this week with Raiola... I think maybe Man United aren't in the best position to to play the game, but Leipzig coming off the back of a three-three draw with Bayern at the weekend as well, um, so they've you know they've not been shy in front of goal. I think it could be a great game, so we'll have to see. But I can you know the the advantages with Man United because they only need a draw because they've got the the better head-to-head um, record and they only need a point to go through anyway. So we'll uh, we'll have to see. But I can see I can see anything happening honestly tonight. I could see. Leipzig winning comfortably, I could see Man United grinding out a win. Um, if all these tactics work again, I mean they worked perfectly in the first game. Um, it's a different different proposition in Germany, but I can literally see anything happening. I wouldn't like to to stick money on on either team getting something. To be honest,
3: Go on, Steph, quickly, who's going through?
1: Leipzig. I'm
4: I'm I'm worried for Man United, Vil it's 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 uh, set up for them to do a typical man united and uh and lose one now
3: interesting so manchester united's champions league journey comes to an end tonight says stefan what do you think let us know on our social media accounts at the sports social on twitter you can find us at sports social official on instagram and you can also search for sports social on facebook and find us there time now to talk about something which a lot of people have been highlighting on social media but it hasn't really been discussed by us on the podcast or indeed by any real mainstream media that's harry kane not his form in front of goal, we know how good he is. He scored in the North London derby at the weekend against Arsenal. But the way he backs into jumping defenders, Marley, that is what people are getting are getting annoyed about because it's not the first time he's done it. He did it at the weekend against Arsenal, he's done it against Manchester City before, he's done it against other clubs in the Premier League this season. What he does is he waits for the defender to jump behind him and he backs into them, causing them to take a big fall on top of him and more often than not winning himself a free kick. He basically takes the legs from underneath the player who he's jumping with whilst they're in midair. Now that could be considered dangerous. I mean, we spoke earlier on on the podcast about gamesmanship. Is it
1: smart play or is it dangerous? Can it be both things at once? Um, it's a hundred percent dangerous. I think the 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 falls that people have had um, in recent weeks um, under this challenge of Kane. I think Lalana. Uh, I think it was Gabriel at the weekend um and then going back to to Cresswell at, uh, against West Ham he could have he could have seriously hurt them guys and and it, you know it, you're only one wrong landing away from breaking your neck there that that it's a very serious dangerous play um and it wouldn't be too too far-fetched to say he should be sent off if somebody does get you know badly hurt but it's it's clever in the way he does it but it's it's I think referees need to see through it they need to you know you shouldn't take adver- ad- you shouldn't take notice of everything you see on social media but if you're seeing a pattern in people's play like this it's very obvious what Kane's doing he's having a look at the defender then he's making contact if he doesn't look at the defender at all he does nothing wrong absolutely nothing wrong if his eyes are on the ball at all times fine but he's in every in every case he looks at the ball he looks at the defender. And then he says, right, there's the contact. I'm going to just put my backside out. And as soon as you go up in the air, as soon as you take a slight touch in the air, you, you spin 90 degrees or 180 degrees and you go from, you know, landing on your feet to landing on your, your head or your chest or your neck or something like that. So it does need to be looked at and he needs to be warned about it before it really hurts someone because the last thing I want to see is, is somebody coming down with a, uh, a broken neck. Um, yeah. and and then a witch hunt for Harry Kane because everyone's seeing it coming I mean the witch hunt is already at a stage where it can easily be stopped by saying Harry you've got to stop doing this because it's very very dangerous and you know we're on to you kind of thing I used to play up front when I played 11 a
3: side years ago and referees always used to penalise me give a foul against me for backing in two defenders and just seems to not exist in the top levels of the game I'm sure there's still referees doing that at Sunday League level and at Park Football level, giving fouls for backing in and endangering an opponent. But is that what it is, Stefan? I mean, again, gamesmanship, I'll I'll draw on that word again, because if diving's gamesmanship to some, which suggests that you could gain an advantage, Harry Kane is trying to gain an advantage for his side by winning a free kick in a dangerous position. Um, But he's endangering an opponent for one, and I guess it's unsporting behaviour for two. So if they just started booking him, after he did it once, then he probably wouldn't do it again for the rest of the game. So it's an interesting conundrum for people to get their head around. Yeah, true. Is this, is this a new
4: uh, part of Harry Kane's game? Is, has he always been doing this?
3: Well, I think he did it a lot last season as well, but I think only now are people really starting to latch on to the fact that he has been doing it, and I don't know where he's got it from. Maybe he's just realised that if he kind of doesn't jump with the defender and the defender goes over the top of him, the chances are he's going to win a free kick.
4: Yeah, like like everything in the world of of uh, online commentary, I think one person picks up on something and it snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. I've just googled it and there's there's about fifteen articles all on the same thing. Uh, and I think as soon as one person calls it dangerous, everybody calls it dangerous. I'm I'm not that upset about it compared to Marley. I think I think he's he's playing his game and and he, he's trying to seek an advantage in a way that. He can in the rules of the game. If 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 we're gonna if we're gonna give time to um to uh, other aspects of the game like diving, then I don't see how this is any different. I mean, you can go down you can go down the route of calling it dangerous. Um, they're all big boys. Uh, if that's a part of his game, and it, it he becomes known for that part of the game, and then, then defenders should be able to adapt against that.
3: Interestingly enough, people haven't really picked up on it until now, Marley. Do you think that there's a reason for that? Is it because it is quite is shrewd I and mean, even quite sly what Kane does, really? Do you think that the reason people haven't picked up on it is because he's seen as this kind of, you know, England captain, golden boy, he knows where the net is, doesn't really do anything to inflame anyone in post match interviews or anything like that? Do you think if he was a bit more of a character, then maybe people have picked up on it more?
1: Yeah, I think um that that really helps him because you know, he's, he's well number one he's he's not seen as a dirty player, is he? No So I guess that's part of it. Yeah, I mean number one he's English. Um which is which probably helps him. Number two is England captain. Uh which probably helps him. And you know, it takes a lot for the media to start um digging out their, their England captain, even though they've got no you know they've got no morals in in on many things uh the media but it's um yeah i think it, it takes a lot for them to go at you know the england captain who does loads for for charity and keeps himself to himself in his private life and he's you know happy little like family man type of thing i think if we were looking at a south american guy I and mean, imagine diego costa doing this um, a couple of years ago they'd be they'd be hell on and he'd be pretty he'd be booked before he even got on the pitch half the time Diego Costa but he, cuz he had that reputation of you know I'll cheat to uh, wherever I can I'll, I'll I'll take gamesmanship to the next level and swing elbows and and kick defenders and rough them up and that kind of thing but Kane doesn't have that but this is a trait that's coming into his game um which he needs to get rid of before he, he sort of forces a decision out of um out of referees to to be con, like consistently looking to see if he's doing anything wrong because it'll only hinder him in the in the long term I think
4: for me that's part of the character of football though I, I don't want to see 11 identical players on on the pitch all it, it's it feels robotic I like the idea that there's certain players who've got certain moral standards and other players who've got different ones it kind of makes it quite interesting as a viewer that's that's part of the entertainment and part of the spectacle of it um it just feels too soft to me. Otherwise, um, it's it's not that's that's not the kind of football which which I've
1: bought into uh, my whole life. Yeah, but you know
4: what I mean, it feels a bit it feels a bit tame. But hitting
1: people in the air, like to compare this to another sport, you are not allowed in rugby to tackle the man out of the air. You get sent off for that in rugby. So it's it's obvious how dangerous is dangerous it is because you've got a big man coming down from six or seven foot, well, eight or nine foot in the air. And it can be it, it can no be control. really dangerous because yeah you you're out of control because you ha- you can't get your legs down to break your fall or, or your arms if you take a, a slight touch in the air you're getting you're gonna spin and you're gonna potentially land on you know your shoulder your neck the back of your head that kind of thing and you'll end up with. You know, it'll end up impacting the game negatively in a way because no one will want to go up for a header anymore yeah. if, if you let it continue. So But yeah, but we know what football's like. We know what football's like. Football's reactive
3: and not proactive. It will take someone to fall over Harry Kane and break their arm before anyone changes anything and before referees start paying attention. I mean it makes you wonder whether referees have social media. I guess they're not allowed, but surely they have private <laughs> accounts and they see this stuff. Because I mean it's it's baffling that that you know the referees aren't wised up to it. I mean, this must be happening not just from Kane, but yeah. from loads of players.
4: Well, all I know is that if, if, if you're a, a centre-back, there's no worse than marking an horrible striker without Harry Kane, <laughs> uh, Diego Costa, Craig Bellamy. They've all got different types of horribleness and it's effective. It's part of football. Um, yeah, you can go down the dangerous route, but it's, I think it's part of football.
3: Well, we'll wait and see what happens there with that situation, but certainly something that is being noticed about the game play of Harry Kane. Anyway, Tottenham, of course, top of the Premier League at this moment in time. Manchester United have a big Champions League game tonight. Could Aston Villa be in with a Champions League shout come the end of the season? Certainly Europe might be the target for some of those fans. And joining us for Floodlight Focus next to talk all about his beloved Villa, we've got Max Stokes from Villa on tour. Join us after this.
2: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social.
3: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Time now for Floodlight Focus. Aston Villa, the centre of attention today and joining us from Villa on Tour, we've got Max Stokes. How are you doing, Max? I'm good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, very, very well. Although I'm a bit jealous uh, of Stefan because Stefan is in a Tier 2 area and has been able to have beers this weekend. Whereas myself and you, Max, are in Tier 3 respectively. So we've not been able to enjoy the delights of the pub. Hopefully we'll see fans back in stadiums uh, in Tier 3 areas when they drop down to Tier 2 soon. Hopefully that is the case. Um, It must have been hard this season so far to see Villa going so well and having to be locked out of Villa Park.
5: Yeah, it's been a bit of a strange one. Obviously we won our first four games, I think it was especially at Villa Park he got the, the 7-2 win but even on the road we've looked a lot better last season I think we conceded in every single game on the road picked up two wins I think it was whereas this season avoiding the West Ham game which which wasn't ideal uh beat, beat <laughs> Arsenal on the road 3-0 smashed them Fulham 3-0 smashed mm. them didn't concede a goal in the first three it was really refreshing really because last season conceding goals on the road it wasn't great at all so just seeing we've improved that um uh, was, was really good to see but yeah in general it's, it's not ideal not being in Villa Park and uh, yeah it's, it's not been good because you, you've seen fans in West Ham, at Brighton at yeah. you know, Arsenal in the Europa League it's just, it's a little bit annoying but our time will come in the end. Yeah
3: absolutely, fingers crossed we'll get supporters back in uh, those stadiums soon. I'll tell you what, it's interesting you mention those games because I've seen some narrative from Villa fans on Twitter recently about how they kind of rate their chances for the season and a lot of Villa fans I've seen have suggested that they feel that Villa at the moment are better than Everton, better than Arsenal better than Leeds and with those teams probably there for the taking and this season being so weird with everyone beating everyone and the points being so close to each other I mean this is a really good chance for Villa isn't it to do something special this year
5: yeah definitely I think we're on par with those teams Arsenal I don't know what they're up to like they're in transition <laughs> that's that's not looking too good Leeds as well who knows what they can be anyone could be anyone like you said so you know at the start of the season we were going really really strong and people were talking about maybe pushing for Europe but you've got to be sensible I'd probably look at mid-table look we came 17th last season and stayed up by one point I think if you come anywhere near the top 10 11th, 12th that's a successful season but if if you are pushing, you know eighth or seventh in January, do you make an addition to fully go for Europe? Maybe I think that that would be a good option. Look, I think our squad is good; um, it's really good. Ross Barkley, Jack Grealish, they're, they're top ten players for sure. So I think we can make a push for it. I think it's going to be really tight in that mid table spot. You mentioned a few teams there. Um, I think we can push them definitely. So I think you know I'd say if we can get top ten this season, that will be absolutely fantastic.
3: Derby game coming up soon, Max. And you mentioned Ross Barkley. It looks like he might miss the game against Wolverhampton Wanderers, I think it is, which will be a blow. Uh, How much of a derby is that? I know that Villa and Birmingham City is the big one, but Wolverhampton Wanderers, West Brom also in the Premier League as well this season. So I guess they are kind of mini derbies of sort.
5: Yeah, a little bit. Whenever we play Wolves, you know, everyone on TV says, oh, it's a derby. But is it really? I think definitely for us, Birmingham City is always going to be number one. West Brom as well um, is much, much bigger than Villa Wolves. But still, we want to beat them. They're a Midlands team. Of course we do. And they have had the better of us um, in in recent games, especially did the double over us last year. So, of course, we want to beat them um, as well. And, you know, it'll be be a tight game. I think them coming off the back of a 4-0 defeat against Liverpool, they're going to want to put things right. Um, they're missing Raul Jimenez as well which is massive but I think we Mm. can give it a go obviously it's away from home so maybe that'll suit us Um, but yeah it'll be a good game either way and I'm looking forward to it
3: how how much of a miss will Barkley be then in that case if he is to be missing which is what the reports are suggesting that he's going to be out because him and Grealish seem to have forged a really good partnership together and it's been effective
5: Yeah, it's going to be massive. I think early starts of this, early parts of the season, him and Grealish really, really did just hit, you know hit it off straight away. I think their connection on the pitch is great, um, and he, Ross Barkley missed the West Ham game and you really could notice it, I think Grealish was he was sort of flashes some last season, he was trying to do it all himself, um, you know, he's missing that extra forward player and it was really, really obvious, so it is going to be big, Horahan I think is the, is the option that will that come in but he's 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 different to Ross Barkley I, th- I think we haven't got anyone that is like Ross Barkley, so we're going to have to find a way to, um, to, to win without Ross Barkley, I think he'll be back after Wolves, but yeah, it's going to be difficult, but I just hope it's not like last season where Grealish tries to do it all himself because it is really frustrating to watch and I think Jack Grealish himself gets frustrated when he doesn't have someone like Ross Barkley around him so the other players are going to have to step up and we can only hope that we can get the win without Ross Barkley
4: Max, apart from Ross Barkley who who do you think's been your best signing in the summer? Because there are quite a few made, and a few of them have made an impact.
5: Yeah, I think there's a couple. I think you've got to look at the back. I think early parts of the season, defensively, real fantastic. Emi Martinez in goal for I think we signed him for 20 million pounds. Absolute steal. I think you look at him and we signed him for the same fee that Sheffield United paid for Ramsdale, and I think we've we've absolutely got a steal there. I think Arsenal will be kicking themselves because Leno's a good goalkeeper, but I, I don't see why Emi Martinez isn't any better. Um, so I think he's he's definitely a, a fantastic sign in The defence can just tell was so much more comfortable with a, a really really good goalkeeper behind them and i think he's he's definitely in the top five goalkeepers in the league big shout but i think he's definitely up there mm. um matty cash as well at right back coming up from the championship i don't think we expected too much of him because coming up from the championship is he going to hit the ground running possibly but you know a steady player but to be fair to him he's taken to the premier league like it's like it's nothing he's been absolutely fantastic um so fair play to them i think you've, you've got to give it to those two um, Ollie Watkins as well scored a few goals Brace against Arsenal Hatch against Liverpool but in some games he does go missing but then again in the, in the West Ham game he, he didn't touch too much of the ball and then scored a goal in the 90th minute which probably should have stood <laughs> or at least had a penalty but yeah I think Ollie Watkins is is definitely Premier League standard and he's, he's been a really good signing as well
3: You might have missed uh, this stat Stefan but only two players have made 25 plus tackles and 25 plus interceptions in the Premier League this season one of them's N'Golo Conte, and the other one is Matty Cash so he has had a really good impact, and I think I'd probably side with Max that Matty Cash has been a really good um, addition to Villa this season. Although I've only just realised—at least I realised last night—that Villa and Everton have the same shirt sponsor. It's taken me four months this season to realise that they're both sponsored by Kazoo, which I did not know. Um, it's a bit of a quirky little trivia. What, what what is Kazoo? I don't know what what is it, Max. So- it's a car
4: rental company or something like that, I'm not sure. I thought, I thought it was a musical instrument that you put in your mouth.
3: It, was, it, it is, it is, you're right. I love how we've got Max on for all the burning questions, like what Kazoo sponsors on the front of Aston Villa's shirt. Um, in all seriousness, I saw someone say, who's been a Villa fan for 60 years, that in the 70s Villa were knocking around in the third division and then all of a sudden the stars aligned and things started to click. And then Villa kind of went on this trajectory and obviously that amazing European Cup victory in the 80s. I'm not suggesting that Villa are going to go on to win the Champions League, but you've stuck by Dean Smith. You've been gutsy in your first season in the Premier League. You're starting to see fruits of the labour now. You've made some good signings. I mean, what's the kind of, what's the ambition for Aston Villa? What's the limit? Because... We discussed before we started recording this section of the podcast that Villa are a huge club. There's Villa fans everywhere, massive fan base in one of the biggest cities in the UK. Um, I mean, you have to think that if you can keep up this form and, and kind of build on what you've got already, Max, that the the sky's the limit almost for Aston Villa.
5: Yeah, definitely. You look, even three years ago, we were mid-table in the championship. Three years later, we're, we're, we're a top 10 Premier League side, in my opinion, so it's... The, the, the ceiling's massive for Aston Villa, and you know, like you said, massive club, um, even the fan base, things like that. And I think in the near future, you've got to look at Wolves and Leicester and what they've done you know, come out of the championship and establish themselves as a top six. Well, Wolves came seventh in the last few years, but you know, that top Premier League side. I think in the near future, that's what we've got to do. Maybe push for Europe, maybe in the next two or three years. And I think it, it comes from the owners because you saw in the summer, Jack Grealish signing that five year deal. They, they've sat down with him and said, Look, this is what we want, mm. this is what we want to do with this club, this is where we want to take it and you know these are our ambitions and they are really really ambitious owners you can look at how much they've spent you look what they've done you know even the little things like in the surrounding areas in Birmingham what they've done for the academy things like that just just little things and you can really tell that they are you know fully invested in the club and I don't think you get that too much with owners these days you know they just pump money into the club and just leave it whereas these mm-hmm. owners really really are invested in Aston Villa and they do want to take it forward and um, so I think look near future next two or three years pushing for those Europa League spots and then you know next 10 years who knows maybe we could have a repeat of the 80s but yeah it's looking good for us Villa
4: Max when was the last time you were this excited about Villa do we have to go back to even before like David O'Leary days when was the last time you got a real buzz for Villa like you are now
5: I think you're looking at over a decade I think Martin O'Neill's era where we came sick three years on the bounce and we were pushing for those Champions League spots and we, we were really really close to them I think definitely that, that was the last exciting team that we saw in the Premier League. OK, we've had good sides in the Championship when we got promoted, but it's not quite the same. I think you look at the John Carew, Gabi Agbonlahor in his prime, Melbourne at the back, things like that. Like 10 years ago, that was the last time it was it was really, really good. But hopefully in the next couple of years, we can get that same buzz again and, and really start pushing in the Premier League.
3: I'll tell you what, I've looked at the Premier League table just there, Max. Um, Villa and Leicester, the only two teams this season not to draw a game. Why do you think that might be? Is there any particular reason for that, do you think? I mean, you've played nine and you've won five and lost four with with no draws, as I say. Do you think that there's any particular reason for that?
5: No, I, I think it's a little bit strange. I think we should have drawn a couple of games. You look at that West Ham game. I think we did enough to win that game, but it's just luck of the draw, I think. you know, In a few games this season, we have been very unlucky. You look at the VAR decision against Brighton at home in the last minute, uh, where we could have equalised from the penalty spot. Well, we probably would have missed because Ollie, Ollie Watkins has missed four of his last six penalties. But yeah, I think, I think there's... <laughs> (laughs) there's... There's an element of luck there um, and we're probably due a draw and I'll I'll probably take one on Saturday against Wolves. But yeah, I can't really explain that. It's a bit bit of a strange one.
3: And just finally then, four defeats in your last five games. Uh, The other one was a win, obviously, as we've just discussed. Any concerns there at all about the form moving forward into what's obviously a really hectic period over Christmas?
5: no not particularly I think Dean Smith in Dean Smith's interviews after the games have said that look the performances are there I just think the results aren't I think I'd be a lot more worried if the performances were really bad and we were still losing games but I'm going to bring up the West Ham game again we did enough to win that game we, we we controlled the game in the second half especially we probably should have won and the the performances are there so I'm not too worried I think you know it will even itself out and we'll we'll get the results we deserve in the end but you know like I said busy Christmas period we've got a few big games like a couple of derbies Chelsea away but we've got we've got to be starting to win games again
3: top man max if there's any Villa fans listening who want to find you on social media and stuff like that where's the best place for them to go
5: yeah, I'm on Twitter at Villa on Tour underscore and then Villa on Tour on YouTube. I'll be making my return on there very, very soon.
3: Oh, I'm excited for that, Max. <laughs> <laughs> You've been away for a while, but you're going to be back. So that sounds good. Appreciate your time, mate. And uh, best of luck to the Villa and catch up with you soon
5: nice one lads cheers
3: thanks very much Max Uh, thanks for listening to Football Social Daily another episode done December in full flow already and don't forget we'll have a new episode for you every single day right through December that includes Christmas and Christmas Eve and Boxing Day and New Year's Eve and all the rest of it Um, also we've got a brand new podcast out from Sports Social called Football Stories with our very own Jim Salverson who's been speaking to some of the most interesting names in the game about their stories in the sport we love including former Premier League players referees and coaches So go and check that out. It's called Football Stories with Jim Salverson wherever you get your podcasts. But that's it for today's show. Cheers, Stefan. Cheers, mate. I'm off to um, go uh, get my wrestling mask and uh, hunt down a <laughs> Bit of Lucha Libre. Um, cheers again, Marley. <laughs>
1: Cheers, guys. I'm off to just clip uh, Stefan in the air whenever he jumps for his uh, mask off the top <laughs> shelf of his bedroom.
3: This is turning into WWE very, very quickly. We'll have to arrange a cage match or something like that in the near future. Uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe and we'll speak to you again tomorrow.
2: Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.